sexual purity. I will be speaking for at least a month, maybe two, on sex. Sex and the Christian, sexual purity, what the scriptures teach about it. And uh, I want you to know the scriptures say much about sexual purity. And uh, so we're going to spend a lot of time on this. We're going to analyze it. We're going to look at the culture and see the culture we live in, the culture we're coming out of, the culture that still wants you. Did you know that? Yes. Are you a Christian today? Yes. Guess who still wants you? Jesus has you, but Satan still wants you. And if he can't have your soul, he wants to ruin your witness. He wants to make life miserable on you. Uh, Misery does love company. And uh, one of the number one ways our culture goes around it is through sexual deviance, sexual sin. So we're going to spend some time on that. Would you open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5? I will read... Some verses out of five. Let me just say now, I'll say it several times. Uh, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. Basically, every verse is on sexual matters. Uh, I will be preaching out of them for at least three weeks here. Then I'll be going to the Song of Solomon. So get real familiar with Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. I will be preaching out of chapter 7 next week, the whole chapter. And... uh, Get used to how the scriptures describe sexual sin. Because you're going to see it in the midst of our culture, and I'll make that correlation as we go through. But enjoy your reading over the next couple of weeks. Get as familiar with it as you can. I'm going to start in chapter 5 of Proverbs. I will read to you about verse 14, then go up to 20, I believe it is. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Least you give your honor to others, and your years to the merciless. These strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan. When your flesh and your body are consumed, and you say, how I hated sexual discipline. My heart despised sexual reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ears to their instructions. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembly of the congregation in the midst of church. Turn to verse 20. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? And embrace the bosom of an adulteress. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all his paths. 
The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sexual sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great sexual folly, he is led astray. I paraphrase to make the points. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord God, and Lord, from this pastor's heart, just a man, I thank you that you have shown me and you've shown us there's a right way. Father, where we have failed, forgive us, and we know you're sure to forgive. And where we're still weak, strengthen us, Father God, that we do not go astray. Help us, God, to make a covenant with our eyes before you and in our hearts, Father God. We thank you, God, that there is a right way. And sex is sacred in your eyes, Lord. Help us to embrace it, to be nourished by it, to pray over it, Father God, and to enjoy it the way you have taught us to, Father God. And Father, let us not awaken love before it's time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I will do the best I can to teach. It's a serious matter. I take it serious. Over teaching for almost 30 years, I have consistently gone back to this subject matter. Uh, I personally think it is uh, delinquent in a lot of ministries. It should be taught. It is the church's job to lead the way. That men and women understand there's a sacredness to it, there's a reason for sex, there's, a, there's an origin behind it, there's a purpose behind it. It's to glorify God and to strengthen the marriage. So I go back to it a lot because our culture is inundated with it. And to them, the more the merrier. That's what they believe. No holds barred culture we live in is not a taboo. The only taboo is abstinency or purity. If you're on that part of the thing, there's something wrong with you. But if you're out there just with anybody, with anything at any time, then you're part of the in crowd. And listen to what the scripture, I'm excited. I get very excited over this kind of stuff. Because the word of God is so insanely powerful and insightful when it comes to human nature. It's so clear. As the title says, sexual purity, but I really wanted to put the grace of sexual wisdom because what we have going on here is sexual wisdom. And as the title says, we'll be speaking on wisdom, sexual wisdom from the word of God uh, concerning this. I'll be speaking out of Proverbs 5 to 7. And please go home, get familiar with Proverbs. It's one long exhortation. It's not a collaboration of religious thoughts thrown together. The writer, Solomon, has something on his mind, and it's taken him three whole chapters. We can even go back to chapter 2 if we want to stretch it. But 5, 6, and 7, Solomon is laying down some real boundaries on sexuality. My motive to the series is to impart the wisdom to sexuality. Wisdom is needed. My motive is also the joy and personal fulfillment of sexual relationships between a man and a wife. Or the joy of waiting 
Again, the joy of waiting with purpose for those not yet married. The world says if you're still a virgin, there must be something wrong with you. Or if you're still waiting for the right person, then you're out of your mind. Let me tell you something. When you're with the Lord and you're waiting for sexual purity, you're waiting for... Understand something. You will feel a certain grace that only God can give. Only God can give that. The joy of waiting with purpose for those not yet married. And the joy of knowing unquestionably there is a right way in sexual matters. There's a joy of knowing that. It's beautiful. Oh, when I became a Christian, how it just changed everything. I was married already almost 10 years, but it, it, it freed my mind from the garbage the world dumped into me from my childhood up. And we compare it with what the culture says about sex and how the culture has marred the sacredness of sexual intimacy. We live in a society that has no sexual boundaries, a society that has thrown off all moral restraints, labeling them antiquated or repressive or religious. Moral restraint in this world today has no value to it. It stops the person from experiencing freedom and the expression of the true self. Anything goes at any time with anybody in any circumstance. Nothing's taboo anymore. We live in a moral wilderness filled with sexual predators. And sexual predators conjures up thoughts in a person's mind of someone waiting to pounce on the young and the innocent. And that is true. But as Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 will show, it's, it's more pervasive than that one bad person. Society has gone sex crazy. Sex is an idol. Sex is worshipped. As the all in all personal fulfillment to true happiness. How's your sex life? Like that is the foundation to personal happiness and fulfillment. Money, time, energy, resources are spent on it, but the desires, according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, 17, are never satisfied. There's always a hunger for something more. On the contrary, it only gets worse. Desires, the scriptures teach us, specifically Proverbs, entangle and strangle the very life of a person. It ruins the individual, it ruins the family, it ruins then the community, and then it ruins society. That's the trajectory. As what we just read here in Proverbs 5, it says, This woman does not ponder the path of life. She's not thinking. She's not thinking on sexual matters. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of shoal. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. 
unrestrained sexual activity over prolonged periods of time does not bring happiness. It brings utter ruin to the inside. As a pastor, I spent much time speaking to men and women, and it, no one says, man, pastor, you know, I've slept with about 50 people. I'm so happy. It, it's so fulfilling. I've never heard that. I hear the opposite. I hear the pain that no one else in the world wants to hear. But society cannot bring itself to condemning the behavior. You notice that? Or even exposing it, the statistics are painful. The pain is never mentioned. The rise of sexually transmitted diseases, abortion, divorce, family breakups, the emotional and psychological pain of the young teenagers, teenage pregnancy, teenage anxiety, and teenage suicide has been on the rise for the last 15 solid years. The statistics are in. The therapists know it. The doctors know it. But nobody's talking about it. Teenage depression, teenage suicide, much can be traced to empty sexual encounters by people. The statistics speak loud, but guess what? Nobody's listening. Because once a person or a society has removed any moral absolute from the equation, once a person or a society, or a culture, removes all moral absolute from the equation, it has by default adopted an anything-goes policy. And you better be on board. Because if not, you're going to be labeled a hate monger and a bigot. And you're going to suffer the same fate of Lot. If you go back to Genesis 19, Lot was telling the men who were inflamed to have sex with the angelic beings, homosexual encounter, they stood up and pointed the finger at Lot and said, who made you the moral judge? You were a stranger here and now you're schooling us in morality. I was counseling a husband and wife and one of them had fell into sin and they simply said who made you the moral police I said the truth did I said the truth made me the moral police and your actions prove you need it they kept silent you would think a 20 billion dollar porn industry is the major culprit to everything but it's, it's only part of the problem The music industry, Hollywood, TV, commercial advertisements, cartoons, all with their sexual overtones are overt. The endorsement of homosexuality, fornication, adultery, one night stands by prime time media used to be known as family time. Society's got desensitized. I hear Christians saying, did you, did you, did you see that? I'm like, me and my wife are looking at you, you know, how could you watch this? Read, the, read a book. 
scandal after scandal in politics, schools, business world, military institutions, the church all go to endorse a low view of sex. And desensitizes our culture to its wrong and to the pain. It's blatant undermining of parental guardianship by the school system. Let me say it again. It's a blatant undermining of parental guardianship by the school system in all areas of a child's education, welfare, and moral upbringing. Has produced a new sexual predator to be concerned with. Not just the one we're familiar with, lurking in dark corners, hanging around schoolyards. No. This is a new, more subtle one, comes right into the school as new curriculum and legitimizes sexual sin. You can tell us anything, we're your friend, but don't tell your parents. Do you know a child can leave as Jim, go to school, dress as Jane, go into the bathroom, dress as a girl, and the school does not have to tell the parents? A friend of mine, the gym, has two children. Both go to uh, well-known schools, private schools. And she sent a little son off to school one day, not thinking much. About a week later, someone said, did you see Facebook? The school teacher decided to take six of the children and cross-dress them. Never told the parents. Promoted it on Facebook. And horrified the parent sees this. But the parent, not being a believer, can't fight against the system. It's a serious issue. It comes into the house by television, computer, and iPhones. No, this new breed of predator is society and the culture as we know it. It's the spirit of the world, the Bible calls it. And part of it is political correctness. And if we as Christians are going to preserve our own personal testimonies in sexual purity and honoring God in this moral wilderness and to encourage others to honor God and escape the pit of corruption, then we have to be proactive. Silence is deadly in this issue. We need to not just warn others, but educate them in the beauty. And this is what I love preaching on this. The beauty of sexual intercourse and the bond of marriage between a male and a female. And lifelong fidelity. The, 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 the sacredness, the beauty. And I'll be touching upon this. And, and not next week, but the week after. I'll speak on the positive. I'll start speaking on the positive things of sacred sex. And it's in the Bible, so God's people would know it. Honoring each other and a commitment and a fidelity and trust, which sex is just an expression of true love. It's not the bottom line, it's part of. It builds the relationship. We teach the beauty of virginity, the power of celibacy to our children, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Many Christian parents have all but given up thinking, what can I do? How many people think that Proverbs was written for the children? Yeah, nobody wants to get, nobody wants to raise their hand on that one. It's written for parents and children. These Proverbs teaches parents part of the answer to illicit sexual behavior in the culture. You know what the answer to illicit sexual behavior in the culture is? The word of God. To the pure, all things are pure. Once you are born again with the Holy Spirit, the word of God is food. We long for. We can't live without it. We need to read it. We need it explained. We need it preached. We need it taught. We need it to digest it. We need to sing it. We need to listen to it. We need to hear it. sermons about it. As Psalm 119 says, how does a young man keep his way pure? The rhetorical question, the answer is, by every word of God. Proverbs 6, and as I just said, 5, 6, and 7 as a whole, these chapters are an introduction to us. And I'll tell you how the Bible goes. And today's really just an introduction, so follow with me, right? In these three chapters, it introduces us to four women. Four women. There's the adulteress, there's the foreign woman, there's the strange woman, or an other man's wife. We need to be careful to turn this to a gender war. It's not nothing to do with this. This was, this was a real sexual threat of its day. There wasn't much sexual over-temptations in the Jewish community. A nice Jewish community living among pagans was something different. These were real sexual sins. These were real sexual problems. These were real, real problems. But these women are just metaphors. For all kinds of illicit sex that plague any believing people in any age, anywhere. It's a metaphor for both men and women. So as you read these chapters in the next week, these three chapters, five, six, and seven, recognize what these women say, how they dress, what they do, and everything that goes to describe them and see how our culture fits the description of their seductions. You have to learn how to read scripture, so I'm not just going to read it. I want to educate you on how the Bible reveals truth. Proverbs falls in the genre of wisdom literature, even poetic wisdom literature. It's meant to captivate the mind with images and metaphors and analogies and similes that, that capture the thought so that you don't forget it. It needs to be preached the same way. Proverbs 1 to 9 use an interesting format. The format is this, a parental exhortation as the means of communication. It's like you're entering into a a home and listen to the parents educate the children. Go home, have some fun reading Proverbs. Read, like I said, 5, 6, and 7, or 1 to 9, and see how the parents are addressing the children about the culture they live in. 
And it's two worldviews. There's Lady Wisdom, that's God's worldview, and there's Lady Folly, that's mankind's worldview, who don't want God, don't know God, could care less about God. We get a parent's eye view of the problems facing children. No one is prepared for life. Are you ready? Parents, hold on to your seats. I love you. I pray for you all. There's not a parent in here. I don't pray for them or their children. Not one child. No one is prepared for life who has not learned some basic lessons about life. Financial prudence is one. A meaningful work ethic is another. And moral precepts for dealing with society is another. This is what Proverbs does, and guess what? It does it very well. It prepares a child for life. It prepares a child to be successful in life. And to be successful in one life, you need a game plan, you need a goal. The scriptures give us that. The book of Proverbs give us that. Life is not Russian roulette. Self-control is not stumbled upon. Self-control is taught. It's taught. Speaking to a... I love where God puts me. Recognize where God has you. And not too long ago, I was sitting there with about five or six men on a golf course and we're practicing and here comes the sexual jokes. And one guy saying, I'm sorry, Brian, because I'm the pastor, you know. I said, no, go right ahead. I said, but give me some air time. I'll show you a better way. I'll show you a better way how to treat your wife. I'll show you a better way how to treat women. And by that, I'll show you a better way how to raise your grandchildren. And then later on, I told one guy, I said, are you crazy? You got three granddaughters. And you talk that way? I said, you got no moral authority in your life. When the moral challenges come into the house, you have no authority. You will be silent. No one's going to listen to you. They won't take you for real. You've lost authority. Once you lose the moral high ground, it's over. That's it. But you can get it back with Christ. You get it back with Christ. And let me tell you something. Not too many people come to Christ and they're free and pure. Like myself, you become pretty banged up. But God restores sexual virginity. God restores spiritual virginity. Fidelity with him and self-respect, as Brother Artie just said. We start to have dignity about ourselves again. And we start to feel clean again and, and cleansed on the inside again. And, and all of a sudden, a new type of hope is, I don't want to have sex. I want to hope that I meet someone I can marry and, and I can love them like, like Christ loves me. And we can have a real meaningful life built on more than just emotions and feelings and desires. Here in our text, we see a parent's genuine concern for the sexual future of the child. I'm telling you, we live, you know what I'm saying? For some people here that have never even heard such teaching before. That's how bad society is, that's how bad the church is. If you're in a church more than a year, two years, and you haven't heard a series on sex, something's wrong. You're in a church for ten years and they're not educating you in the positive exhortations on the sacredness of sex and the warnings against sexual sin, something's wrong. 
And I'm not just talking about sex, just stay away from sex. No, no. Educate the mind to the glory of sacred sex. Educate what it's all about. We're sexual beings. God created us that way. But here in our text, we see the parents' genuine concern for the sexual future of the child. Their deepest desire is that the child have a fulfilling and joyful married life. Think about that. You have children? You have grandchildren? You want them to have a full, fulfilling, happy married life? Then you better talk about sex. Because if you don't, someone's going to. They're going to feel their way through. And you don't want to feel your way through. You get this wrong, sometimes there's no second chances. Scripture teaches sexual purity. Their deepest desire is that the child have a fulfilling and joyful married life. Scripture teaches sexual purity as the key component to a happy life. If the walls of therapists could talk. If the walls of a pastor's study could talk. And you can see the pain in people's faces. And what comes out of their heart. Sex hurts. Sex destroys. Or sex enhances the relationship between a husband and a wife. But to teach this most important component to a happy life, against them stands the law of illicit sex that's personified as a woman in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. It's a personification. Parents know that the aftermath of such behavior is disgrace at best and personal destruction at worst. Shame was a great concern to the biblical writers. Shame. <laughs> we live in a culture that's shameless. People are walking around with their nakedness on Instagram and then they're running for office again. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. There's no shame at all. When you take shame, there's no conscience. When you take the conscience out of the society, you take conscience out of a man, you take a conscience out of a woman, understand something. That is a faculty that is there to warn us. Warning, warning, danger ahead. And when shame is gone and we're in a shameless society, understand something. We have entered into the twilight zone and it's not good. And the only thing that society can do today is rewrite legislation. Instead of warning of the aches and pains of sexual sin, they just rewrite it. It's okay. Everybody's happy on Moonlight Bay. You don't know what that's from, do you? That's Taxi. Remember Taxi? I won't get into it. (laughs) 
But remember, shame. Listen to verse 20, uh, 32 in chapter 6. Listen to this. I might not have put it up there, but listen. The man who commits adultery, he lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and he will, dis- he will be disgraced, and it will never be wiped away. That's shame. You see, you got to remember something. This is written back in a time when people depended on one another. We needed one another. God so f- put forth the world that men needed to depend on each other. Someone had the cow. Someone had the chicken. Someone had the wheat. Someone had the well. And we all bought it and we all lived together. And we all needed one another. And when shame was in big, guess what? You were outcast. Shame was a preservative. No more shame. If you sin, oh, I'll get into it. I don't want to get hurt in my, my, my uh, sermon. Today's shame is short-lived and carries no power to restrain anybody anymore. There's a real problem. No conscience. There's no leverage. I love being a pastor. You know why? Let me tell you why. I try to conv- I don't try to raise the dead. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. I preach to men and women who are born again. And I know God has given you a new conscience with new desires. And you just need to be encouraged. You need to be taught. You need to be instructed. And sometimes you're being admonished, exhortated, and even rebuked and corrected. That's my job. And my leverage does not come by on how powerful I can preach. It comes on you being born of the Holy Ghost. And if you're born of the Holy Ghost, you have the seed of God in you. And if you have the seed of God in you, you want to hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because only the truth sets us free. I will not sit there and say, would you do us a favor, please, God? Preachers are like pleading with the flesh. Don't plead with the flesh. Preach as though men and women are born again. We live in a fractured society where people are not so close to each other anymore. As opposed to a community that depends on each other. The whole Bible speaks from a a community aspect. Always. Nothing in scripture from Genesis to Revelation is ever done in isolation. Ever. Ever. In the Old Testament, the Bible speaks of a community. In the Old Testament, you belong to a nation. You belong to a tribe within a nation. And within that tribe, you belong to your father's house in a certain town. Like David was the son of Jesse of the tribe of Judah. There was a place. It gave you an identity. Today, that place is in Israel. It is the church for believers. And today when someone sins in the church and they have no shame and there's no repentance and they have no relationship with the pastoral authority, guess what they do? Go to another church. See it all the time. The preaching's too strong. There's no grace. (laughs) My original title for this was The Grace of sexual purity. It's an epidemic today. 
Verse 20 21 says this, My son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. The beginning to sexual purity starts in the home. Yes. Parents, are you listening to me? Yes. I'll look you straight in the eye. I'm not ashamed at all. Sexual purity begins in the house. In the home. And this is why illicit sexual sin and divorce ruins communities and societies. It ruins churches. And the beginning of sexual purity starts in the homes. It's the first line of defense. The past does not speak in Proverbs. The mother and father are. It starts with the word of God. And the word of God now are owned by the parents. The parents take the word of God and you can see it. Go read, read Proverbs 1 to 9, these, these parental exhortations. The parents are owning the word of God. When the parents own the word of God, when the parents' life is lined up with the word of God, it becomes an authority that the world has to flee from. The church's job is to come around the parents and encourage them in the task. There's a solemn warning of problems that come to a child who lacks wisdom in this area. It goes on to say here, the binding them around the neck and the heart teaches us, are you with me? What do you think the scripture says? Bind them around your neck. What do you, think? you know why it says harder than your heart? This is life and death. It's life and death. I know what it did to me. I know what sexual perversion, sexual sin did to my conscience. I know how it hurt me. And I praise God for forgiveness. And I praise God for renewing of my mind. And I praise God for moral authority back in my life. I thank God for these things. These are life and death matters. We live in a desensitized world. Brokenness is so taken, it's just like, it's just the way it goes. But when you get around the word of God, healing begins. And not just for the individual, but for whole families. It's not to be taken like either by a child who hears or the parent who teaches. We should not lack warning as we speak to children about this subject. Warning with love is a positive, powerful influence. Fathers with their sons and fathers with their daughters. I was preparing this years ago and with my friend out in Arizona. We ran together for many years. Some people, many people in this room know who he is. And he's got a daughter now. And at that time, well, now she's 13, going on 14, but she was probably about 10. He spent time, and he's the one who talks to his daughter. It's not a mommy thing. It's a daddy thing also. The father that teaches and shows sexual purity to a daughter, that daughter has more than a fighting chance. More. 
when the father figure shows personal interest in the sexual purity of the daughter and the son, that is powerful. When the grandfather and the grandmother do the same, that's powerful. When the pastor shows it, when the elders of a church show it, when the community teach it and the community live it, that's powerful for the child. This section we're talking about teaches us that we have to make our children aware to be aware of the right and the wrong of sexual expression that's going on everywhere around them. Yes, the teacher in school is wrong. The principal is wrong. The governor is wrong. The mayor is wrong. Jesus is right. Teach your children Jesus is right. Jesus, tell them Jesus is right. The seducing voice is not located in one area anymore. Growing up in the 70s, I was a bit wild. When you went into Manhattan and you went down to 10th and 9th and 11th Avenue, it was a seedy place. It was seedy. That's where certain kind of things took place. It's everywhere now. It comes right into the house. This is a serious matter. It's everywhere. The seducing voice of the forbidden woman is everywhere. And they're after our children. Let's get it right. That's the introduction. I will speak more about it as the weeks to come. The application is this. The church's role is to support parents in this endeavor. And everybody can do that through prayer. You know who the parents are. You know the children. And we're not a big church. We know who each other are. You take it upon yourself. You spend some quality time every day on your knees. Praying for the parents and praying for the children in this church. We take that. God takes. No, no, no. Let me rephrase that. God takes that serious, not me. When God sees a community praying for one another in these areas, in any area, this is powerful to God. It strengthens the parents in their faith, and it strengthens in their duty not to be delinquent. This is, for our parents, this is a brand new thing here. I counsel with the parents. It's a brand new thing. It's not easy. It needs to be done. It needs to be done right. It needs to be done with grace. Everything is a teaching a moment for parents when it comes to what's going on in our culture today. We need to know how to sound the alarm and point them in the right direction. Amen? This is a community thing. Let's keep our children in prayer. Let's keep the parents in prayer as we get ready now for our, uh, we're going to take communion. Again, this is just an introduction. The scriptures say a lot. I'll be spending time on it. And I'll be spending a lot of time on the positive understanding of sacredness of sex. Amen? Let's get ready.